Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Read Up, the podcast where we talk about books intellectually and stuff. Today's book is Caliban's War, the second book in the Expanse series by James S.A. Corey. Today's guest is a new guest. See ya, Scott. Smell you later. No, just kidding, Scott. You're welcome back anytime. I know you, you know I love you. But today's guest is uh, new to the podcast. It's the first time we've podcasted together, which is very exciting. I would love to welcome to Read Up Tim Rooney. Tim, how are you today? Uh, thank you for having me. And it's kind of a a weird thing. It's just like, because Scott records with several Tims. He, I think, he refers to me as of Tim Earth Three. Yeah. Um, I think it's how, that's how he refers to me. It's like I am the owl. Um, I am the Injustice League, uh, Injustice <laughs> Gang uh, version of Batman. That's the Tim that he refers to right there, which I'm fine with. You know what? Like the Injustice, like uh. Uh, crime syndicate. There we go. That's the one I'm looking for. I'm not in justice, but yes, um, I'm thankful for to be uh, on the show and talk about the book uh, at hand. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. You know, actually, it's funny that you say that Tim of Earth three thing because I'm I'm either Tim of Earth one or Earth two. I've actually lost track because the Tim of the DC film Squadcast is Tim Prime. I think so. I think I'm Earth one, but I could be two. So I'm either Tim of the Justice League. Or Tim of um, I'm either Tim of the Justice League or I'm Tim of um, J- the JSA Justice Society, which is also pretty cool. So I'll take either one. Yeah, being part of the Justice Society is a win in and of itself. And you know what? Like, I guess like you want to be more like edgy and stuff like that. Like nobody talks about the JSA as much as the JLA, even though they're getting more respect um, as of late. But the JSA is really cool, and not enough people talk about them. No, they really don't. I'm actually this is not about books at all, but I'm pumped for that JSA animated movie that is coming out. So give me more JSA. Give me Black Adam. Give it to me in the comics. In the you know Star um, Girl. Star Girl. Like it's all good. They're making a comeback, and I love it. But we're here to talk about books, uh, and that is Caliban's. That is Caliban's War. Uh, I did the. I read the first book, Leviathan Wake. So Scott was actually on for. Scott was actually on for that episode. Um, so I'll read the back of the book in case people don't know what this is about, and then we'll get to it. So it says we are not alone on Ganymede. Breadbasket of the Outer Planets, a Martian Marine watches as her platoon is slaughtered by a monstrous super soldier. On Earth, a high-level politician struggles to prevent interplanetary war. And on Venus, an alien protomolecule has overrun the planet, wrecking massive, mysterious changes and threatening to spread out into the solar system. In the vast wilderness of space, James Holden and the crew of the Rosinante have been keeping the peace for the Outer Planets Alliance. When they agree to help a scientist search war-torn Ganymede for a missing child, the future of humanity rests on whether a single ship can prevent an alien invasion that may have already begun. Um, So that's what this is about. Uh, Tim, what did you think about this book? I really enjoyed it, and it was something that I was kind of slightly hesitant going into this book is because I enjoyed the first one so much like so many people when a sequel comes out you often wonder like how can you top that how can you a match it and b somehow top the original book and i was thoroughly impressed when i finally finished this uh uh 
via audiobook uh, through Audible. That's actually how I did it too. I um I I also audio I audible this because I did the first one and the narrator was so good that I was like I have to continue this way. So good, but same thing. I I really enjoyed the first one. I was hesitant to dive into Caliban's War because I enjoyed the Miller chapters of uh, Leviathan Wakes more than the Holden chapters, and so I was afraid that I was only really attached to Miller. And then I wouldn't enjoy Caliban's War, but they they literally blew that idea out of the water or out of space or out of the planet, whatever, uh, in in this book. I, w- I became attached to every single character that they had lined up, whether it was Holden or, or Bobby or Prax um, or I can't remember. What's the um, – oh, shoot. The the uh, name of the secretary there, uh, Avicellara. Yeah, no, Avicellara. Yeah, that's. I think that's correct. Yeah, um, she was actually my favorite, and <laughs> she was just she just made me laugh so much. Um, so, in comparison to Levi- Leviathan Wakes, better, worse, the same. I think better because, like, like you, I enjoyed Miller's stuff so much in the first book, and so like I was like you hesitant going into this one but after chapter two with bobby's recount of the attack on ganymede that kicks off the like that's the inciting incident of the story i knew i was in and i was like okay i don't care who it like we cut to and i'm just like all right if we whether it be prax whether it be bobby whether it be avisalara or holden like i was in 100 percent because like you think, like, the evil is defeated so definitively at the end of Leviathan Wakes that you're like, oh, there's no way you can make a sequel out of that. And then seeing how it kind of plays out in the very beginning of this book, you're like, oh, crap, the problems of the first book have not gone away at all. That's a really good point. I, I feel like Caliban's War actually raises the stakes in retrospect to Leviathan Wakes. Uh, I felt that... The pro- like the proto molecule was dangerous and stuff, but like you said, you think it's vanquished, it's over, it's done with, and so seeing that it's this Caliban's War is not really like okay, kids, it's the next adventure. This is one giant story that all can, even though it's like technically episodic in its volume set, it has it's an overarching story plot with the rest of the series, and I I'm far more on board for that than um than an episodic an episodic series it was it was a delight to find that out yeah and i when i was nearing the end of this book when like the i guess the epilogue of this story here in caliban's war i'm thinking to myself like all right so we dealt with a another worldly intelligence in the first two books like okay what what things can you conquer in further stories going forward in the science fiction realm like okay you can talk about like like you can talk about machines like androids like replicants whatever or I don't know maybe time travel somehow like that's that's what I'm, I am thinking about what's going to happen uh, going forward after this book but even by the end of this book the pro molecule is not just not gone away just like in Leviathan Waste but it's actually it's become even more dangerous after it leaves Venus. Right, it's the proto molecule in itself is almost a character. Like I, I feel like not that the, the characters of the story know what the proto molecule really wants, but I, as the reader, 
feel that I know what it's after in that it is um, it wants to evolve. It wants to change it. It desires something, whatever that is. And I like that it is an unspoken. It is an unspoken character, I guess is probably the best way to to say it, Um, because it doesn't. The chapters are broken up by characters, and so it doesn't have its own. It doesn't. It doesn't have its own voice, but the authors of the Expanse series give it a give it a flavor. It's almost like a. It almost has like a it an atm- it it has its own atmosphere, and not in the literary sense, not in the planetary sense. Yeah, and the fact that it 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 keeps evolving, it's not stagnant in any way. Where it's like. When, like, this book, Caliban's War, highlights the fact that every time a piece or part of molecule comes into some form of conflict, whether it's damaged in any way, the, the home for it on Venus is, reacts to it violently, that it, it is connected, like, like every, every little bit of cell is connected to each other, shows, like, okay, this is ever-changing and ever-evolving, so... Yeah, we have a solution able to deal with it, and in during like the middle of this book, like okay, we get like a radioactive rod to distract it and get it the hell away from us. We can use that. However, it seems like after this book, like okay, that's not going to be sufficient in order to either kind of defeat it in any way. Mm. Do you? What did you think about? Like, did you think that it was the book was all attached to the proto molecule? When when we were le- like when we were learning about like the super mutant super soldiers and like all that stuff, did you did you have a feeling it was going to go back towards the proto molecule, or was that reveal a big surprise for you? I kind of felt like it was that was just going to be the proto molecule was going to be a MacGuffin for the story, and we would be dealing with the group that's wielding it the entire time, or who wants to upset the balance between whether it be the OPA. Uh, Mars or the UN that it would be some kind of shadow group that's doing this and, and to a degree it, it is that but even though the ones who are wielding the protomolecule as a, a very dangerous weapon they have no real sense of control and, and kind of backfires in like the the third act of the story showing that the true villain is the protomolecule no matter what despite humanity's uh, efforts to try to control it that's a really good point. Well, you actually you raised the point of the proto molecule being a MacGuffin. That's like I, I've never the first book. Yes, that's absolutely what it is. I don't really know if you could call it a fully fledged MacGuffin in this story because it's a, because it's a mystery. It's the proto molecule for the most part, or like I'm not sure. Like you know, the MacGuffins you always think of like okay, I've got to go get that thing, right? Or you know, the Declaration of Independence, or you know, the the Soul Stone, or whatever. Like this thing that I have to get to cert to find a to find the answer to complete the story. Blah blah blah. I don't know. I to me, it feels that like Prax's little girl is actually the MacGuffin of the story. I think you're right there. I think that's why the book opens up with her, and it's the only chapter from her point of view is the very first one. Oh, good point. That's right, because then she does this, she disappears right after that. Very good. Um, what, what about our new characters? Right, I said Prax. So we've got um, we have Prax, we have Bobby. What do we, what do we think of the what do we think of these newbies? And are they? I don't know if you've gone on. So my question is like, are they sticking around? Because Miller 
spoilers for the this story if you didn't get that already but like miller's back question mark like not sure so what are we what are we thinking about all of these people that reveal like that's the last thing that's in the book before it ends like i'm little i'm counting something at work and i really had to fight the urge not just to scream out loud in <laughs> just just reaction to it and like that was the two times of during the this listen that really got me one the first one was like a i thought amos was dead um when they were they were uh, snatched up by the people of the un i thought he was dead like that was the first time like i literally it was my heart was racing and then obviously the end of this book miller being back i was like ah i couldn't i couldn't believe it but going back to your question i really enjoy the additions of these characters like well because we have so many like so many different points of view to this story and so many different areas of the conflict that eventually converge near the end. Prax being very single-minded in getting his daughter back, which is is beautiful. And you just like, you'd want, as a parent, you'd hope to have that kind of conviction in order to do that, to look up to, even though it does get everybody into trouble and gets a bunch of people killed in the process, unfortunately. Uh, Bobby's like dealing with PTSD about the fact that she was unable to to stop the protomolecule mutant um, from killing her, her entire squad as well as the UN people at the very beginning. The story is heartbreaking, and seeing her interact with Holden and his crew is just fantastic in the second half of the book. Mm-hmm. And Avatar, it's kind of like I think of it as like a vulgar B. Arthur. But that, that's that's that, that's my that's how I imagine her in the story here. That it's just like really snappy, but just like uh, no f's to give when it comes to language, except for in front of children, which is a very proper thing to do. You know, a vulgar B. Arthur. That's I want that. If, <laughs> I guess that's that's what was truly missing from the Golden Girls. She just needed a little bit of bite more than she had. <laughs> Uh, you know, but you, you some excellent points, especially with Prax. Like you want that level of you want that level of conviction uh, as a parent, and so I always th- I think about because not being a parent, I find it hard to speak as to like how a parent should act in stories, right? You know, like I don't I I I can't offer life experience to say oh this this is what we should do or not do or that was a good move not a good move. Uh, and so, but I, I wonder how this story reads to a parent, you know, like how much scarier is Caliban's war if you project like, what if that was my kid, you know, that was taken, you know, how, how fast, how, how much faster do you flip through the pages to make sure that everybody, everything turns out okay at the end or does it? Right. I mean, even to the fact where he accidentally shoots a woman in the face that, potentially could have his daughter in her possession, it probably would read a little different for her parents versus people who don't have kids. Right. Because you're as as a person who doesn't have children, you almost you almost just like it's an event in a story that happened and whether you care about the character or not, it, you know, you just kinda keep going. But then like as a parent, do you think like oh like is that something that I would do? Or do I like do I come down on him harder? Do I like that more? Like there's a lot of there's a lot of questions. Uh, there's a lot of questions up in the air because of that, and I, I enjoy that very much. Just the, even with Avasarla, you know, like you know, she is she's so important to the government of Earth that 
like if somebody is somebody high like if somebody in government reads this book do like how does she read to them you know like i am not but a humble teacher there are no teachers in this story you know so uh it's i always think it's like interesting even in science fiction like okay you do this as a as like a close enough version of their job so how how do they how realistic do they play out? Because the Leviathan, so the um, Expanse series, is kind of known for its scientific, um, scientific truth. Like you know, this is the way the spaceship would have to look for it to move this way and this kind of force and blah 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 blah. So I wonder if their jobs and their reactions to things work the same way. Well, that's the thing. That goes back to the earliest science fiction authors. Whether it be Isaac Asimov or H.G. Wells or Jules Verne, people who uh, would – Don't forget Mary in, Shelley. She's, that's a, and Mary Shelley. That's a, that's a science fiction. And, and I, but I know like there's so many people who like just be pedantic and just push their glasses up on their nose and say, well, actually – and I'm like, okay, fine. It's just as much as – as horror as it is science fiction, you can have you can mix the two together. Sure can. Uh, it's called pastiche, people. You all deal with it. <laughs> yes, and that's not to to besmirch all glasses wearers out there. I know I'm speaking to somebody who wears glasses, so I, I feel sure like, do. You know, <laughs> yeah, but if you notice, <laughs> I didn't push them up the bridge of my nose. <laughs> They're already firmly in place because of my headphones. <laughs> Right, but like you, the, you have like that kind of hard based fact when it comes to their um, their writings. But also like Robert Heinlein when it came, when it came to Starship Troopers, where he would write it within a realm of possibilities. But then you have stuff like Star Wars, which is science fantasy, mm-hmm. where it's like okay, we can kind of do whatever the hell we want. And I think that sense of authenticity grounds the story into a sense of reality without it being bogged down to like. To a degree, like I think, as much as I enjoy Tom Clancy, there are times where like you could spend three pages describing a pencil, and you're like, "All right, we can move on now." It's so funny that you say that because I I started reading not to I read Rabbit like his shortest book in comparison to all the other ones, and I was like, "Hey, you didn't describe that nearly as long as you would have in Patriot Games. What are you doing? What are you doing? Like, I, I paid the same price for half the pages. You could." You could kill somebody with a sum of all fears. Like, that's how thick that book is. Oh, my God. Isn't it, though? But they're good. But you're right. He does spend a really long time. I know the names of every single rivet in that submarine by the time that we actually get on board. Like, oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. But to your, to your point, I, th- I think you're right. I think there are so there's, – uh, there's a great range of what it means to be science fiction uh, and, and how how absurdist you can be. Or or how um, or how realistic you can be because you can write, you know, something that happens five years in the future and the science in there like it might be as close as you can possibly get but still be science fiction or you can do something like you said Star Wars, which is really science fantasy. It's really fantasy in space like it's not even really science, Um, you know, or um, the Mars trilogy. You could think of um, John Carter in that same way. Like, is that science fiction or is that fantasy? Because there's really nothing about it that's sciencey apart from the spaceships. Uh, I always enjoy. That's why. That's why working in a bookstore sometimes can be a nightmare if you're like looking to like shelve a piece of fiction and you're like, okay, it's definitely fiction, but there's so many other things going on here. I really don't know how to describe it. I once heard an author talk about 
uh, like fantasy is wood and and science fiction is metal and i i get i get that to a degree but i think there's so much in between it, it's really hard to pin down it's because wood is malleable and bend and metal is very rigid i think it's i think he was going more for like um taverns versus spaceships okay uh i think that was the the idea it was more like um like wooden boards or slats versus nails in like a skyscraper or something like that. I don't know, but there's like, like I said, there's so many, there's so many levels. But I do like the as close as you get hard science of this series so far. I like imagining these weird, like these weird spaceships, and I like the I. For, it, I like the the lag. Oh, I've got to wait two hours to hear the reply from this person. I think there's a there's a there's a realism to like, oh, it's going to take us two weeks to get there. So like you can just the stretches of time in space worrying that like the worry that Prax has to deal with just like waiting and waiting and waiting. That feels even though they're flying through space, that feels like real life. I absolutely agree because then because there's so many times like in Star Wars or any science fiction like, oh, we're just going to jump into hyperspeed or warp drive and we'll be there in two hours. Yeah. And you're like, mm, but will you? Yeah. Will you? Yeah, I, I like um, I like the I like the realness of it. Even the government, even the 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 world building that the authors the authors have done. There's a I can you can see the solar system heading in this direction. If this is if this is how our future really would look, right? You know, like I, I you know we're probably not going into the direction of oh like out of the silent planet, right? You know, C.S. Lewis. You know, we're probably heading more in this direction where like, Oh, Mars doesn't really care for what's happening on earth. And I like this idea of like, Oh, I've heard on earth that they all suck. Yeah. That sounds right. That sounds like what we would say now. <laughs> um, they're all lazy on earth. And then Bobby's like, but it turns out they're not go team. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you have to work a certain amount of time before you get a chance to actually enroll in college. So they're not wasting government funds on that. It's like, so Bobby has a newfound respect for the Earthlings compared to Mars, but also how she feels so like I look, one of my favorite parts of this book is when Bobby goes outside for the first time and sees a blue sky and she doesn't have her suit on and she's so used to having no atmosphere and freaks out. And so like, and one of the other guards there at the UN's like first time outside. So I just imagine like James Franco in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs with a noose around his neck, like, first time, huh? <laughs> As she reorient, she orients herself for the first time walking on a, a planet with atmosphere. Well, actually, you raised a point about Bobby, because Bobby's from, Bobby's a Martian, right? And then, but we also have belt, we also have belters, right? And so there is this sense of, um, across each part, there's this xenophobia that exists. So, like, you've almost, like, united the planet in some way where people on earth don't seem to be like ew people from canada or you know whatever some switzerland ew whatever things people don't say in the present day um Mm -hmm. but i do like like when when holden calls his family and he's like hey yeah she's a belter and she's still human so shut up like she's not a different species um, I like that. I like that because it again, it feels. 
I mean, as much as I love the bright and shiny future of Star Trek, like it's that's not where we're headed. As much as I would like it to be, um, where everyone just gets along and they leave all of their fears behind them. I think people will always kind of have fears and jealousies and stuff like that, and it's like you've got to work through them, even if you have them. And I like that the expanse seems to address that not overtly so much. It's not really the, the, the whole point, um, of, of the, of the story, but it's certainly there. It, it's a seam that runs through the series. And I, I like that a lot. Yeah. It, it's like, because we've been so programmed since caveman to fear the other, that it's just gone down generation to generation to fear people that not like you. I mean, it's a very unfortunate thing. And like you would like Star Trek, you'd hope we would get to a point where it's uh, like live side by side with whomever you come across. And it seems that the expanse seems to be a little more realistic. Like, yes, there are people like people can have many different kind of relationships, whether it be, Earthlings, Martians, or Belters. Um, and it seems like Belters don't have as much problems between um, people because they're kind of known for like, like yeah, we kind of know how people treat us, but we don't really care. But it seems like the real animosity is between Earth and Mars. I mean, to the point where intergalactic, well, not or a galactic war is happening between the two of them mm-hmm. uh, for the good portion of this book, unfortunately. No, you um. You struck my interest, especially when you said the other, because that was what my entire master's thesis was about. And so, like, I was like, oh, you want to talk about the other rolls up sleeves? Like, well, <laughs> let's, let's let's dive into it. But uh, we actually don't have time to do that because um, we're, we're running out here. So um, I just want to say if you rate rating it at a five, what would you give it? I would have to give it a five out of five because, like, it literally had me on the edge of my seat at the end of certain chapters where I want to know what's going to happen next. I know it's high marks there, but literally, like, where I'm just, like, holding my breath for the next chapter, hoping we get back to another character and so hope, like, that Amos would still be alive. Spoilers, he is. Thank God. Um, like, mm-hmm. a book who's able to do that uh, made me feel for a character, like, and that is something that's... It's different from an audiobook versus like you're reading in your hand because there's a certain tactileness of holding the book in your hand. You seem like you're in partially in control of that story, and then you find out when your favorite characters die, you feel sort of responsible for that. Being that it's an audiobook, there's a certain sense of separation. Sure, the words and images are being beamed into your head via be, be your, your third eye, but there's, there is a separation there that I think between audiobook versus physical book, and able to do that in an audio medium is astounding and that's why i gave it five out of five that's really good i gave the performance of the audio five out of five but this uh, i'm gonna say four out of five for me i try to say five out of fives for books that end up having um some kind of um a subtext you know like more of a um more of a theoretical or philosophical underpinning to it it's just my own personal rating system like a a book that you can kind of come back to and pull apart a lot more i think um the calvin's wars is a lot of what you see is what you get um there's you know there's not a lot of ambiguity there uh and but that's okay because that's exactly what it it should be i'm not asking for it to be anything else um but you're right it is an edge of your seat thing and i think if you are if you were like tim and i if you were um 
not mediocre on Leviathan Wakes, but you were like, it was good. I really enjoyed that. I will read the second one. I think you should definitely pick up Caliban's War and and dive into it because I, I definitely enjoyed it more than the first one. And I was like, I made myself read another book in between um, Caliban's War and going into the next one just so I wouldn't like get, I guess, like sick of the story, you know, like halfway through the next 500 page book you're like oh man i really should have taken a break so i'm excited to i'm excited to dive back in i'm excited to dive back into the next one and you're absolutely right with that with like taking a break from a story like a series like like i finished because uh my day job i'm able like when i'm still going into work being an essential worker i'm allowed to listen to headphones and next i'm not dealing with customers um and i'm working 10 hour shifts now in four day weeks uh so get my 40 hours in so i'm allowed to i usually listen to a lot of podcasts but i'm like if i want to eat up a lot of time i'll, I'll listen to an audio book and once i finished uh caliban's war i'm like all right let me listen to something else in between and i'm just about finished with the book on like the ultimate history of video games um mm-hmm. which covers like the very beginning of video games up until like early 2000s like right when the the demise of dreamcast so i'm wondering like do i jump into the next book in the series or do i check off another sci-fi book i want to talk of uh read like william gibson's uh neuromancer so i'm mm. unsure what to do next i well the reason i actually started i jumped into caliban's war because you had said that you were reading it and i was like ah reading buddy i'm gonna do that i'm gonna read that sometimes that helps um so maybe maybe hold off until you see somebody else is like you know i've been talking thinking about the expanse lately and you're like yes me too now is the time to read that book that's how i that's how i gauge my reading my reading mood sometimes this that's a good idea i probably i'm going to take that into account for whatever the next thing i'm going to tackle all right. Well, uh, you are welcome, Tim. You are welcome back anytime. This was uh, this was a delight. Thank you for coming on and gracing us with your presence. Uh, you can tell the people where they can find you. Well, thank you for having me on. I really do appreciate that. Like, it's one thing to ask people to be on, ask ask people to be on your show, but to be asked to be on their shows is a real honor. So, um, I want to say thank you for doing that. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I meant every word. It was a real. It was a real pleasure. So. Uh, where can the people find you? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney Two. My Instagram at T Rooney Ten Twelve. Uh, the two podcasts I do: my personal podcast, the Anything Goes podcast, where we cover a myriad of geek and pop culture topics. Like the last episode I just dropped last night, in, in terms of this recording, anyway, uh, was the review of Die Hard with a Vengeance because it's twenty five years old this year. Um, the other podcast, please, we want the RF4RM Retro Show, where it's very similar kind of format, but we talk about movies when it comes to anniversaries. Our latest episode that's been dropped is like Airplane, and we have a bunch of stuff like gearing up for Halloween because we have a bunch of movies we want to do. And then it's my YouTube channel because I'm a filmmaker first and foremost. You go to youtube.com slash through the lens productions through as if you're going through something like through a window so youtube.com slash through the lens productions and you can find all my short films are up there the latest video that's up there right now is the the series of the, the podcast i'm doing with my friend mike wilson and i where we kind of announced the next uh series we're doing um on anything goes so you can check out the little the tease video for that 
That sounds great. Uh, you should definitely, uh, if anything, definitely watch some of Tim's movies. They are fantastic. Go to that YouTube channel, watch them. Um, Tim, this was this was great. I said before, and I'll say it one more time. Thank you so much for thank you so much for coming on, and you are welcome back anytime. I appreciate that, and it was very nice to speak to you, uh, especially on a subject that we really enjoy. So again, I thank you. You have been listening to Read Up, the podcast where we talk about books intellectually and stuff. You can find Read Up on Twitter at Read Up Podcast and the host at Timothy PG13. Rate and review Read Up on iTunes and listen on any place podcasts can be found. Head over to patreon.com slash thoughtbubbleaudio to support all of your favorite Thought Bubble Audio podcasts. You can find all of the Thought Bubble Audio programs at thoughtbubbleaudio.com. Until next time, have a good read.